With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. You're listening to the Tennis.com podcast. And here's your host, Ed McGrogan. Welcome back, everyone. This is Ed McGrogan here at the Tennis.com podcast. Back with Steve Tigner on a Wednesday. Um, we uh, want to catch up on a few tour things, of course, but I wanted to start with uh, Vic Braden, who um, just recently passed away. And Steve and I wanted to, in particular, I want Steve's input on on Vic, essentially because you know one little pet peeve of mine, I think, when all when you know a big sports personality or a celebrity passes that is is generating an older name is I think a lot of hosts and um, pundits really act like you know they really knew the person very well and and to be honest I don't know a lot about Vic Braden and, and that's kind of why I really want your thoughts on on the man and you know, really what his story was and what he did for the sport so I'll yeah let- it's really a sad note um, in that Vic Braden he's sort of a figure from a big figure from the tennis boom in the in the United States, when you think of sort of non-players, you think of Vic Braden and Bud Collins, people who were sort of gave the texture of tennis. Maybe you you might say in the in the 70s, he was a he was more known as a he was a low-level pro. Um, he was lived in Kalamazoo, which a lot of people um, call Tennis Town, which has the the big junior tournaments. So he had a tennis background there, but he was more famous as a as a teacher, a coach, and sort of a I guess the New York Times called him a Pied Piper of tennis. He was, you know, somebody who was just really enthusiastic and and got people involved in tennis at a time when when the sport was really at its most popular here. He um I think it's also an interesting time to to think about him in that now there's a lot of talk in the US about about getting people how to get people more interested in tennis and how to coach players and also coach coaches, teach coaches you know how to coach players. That's something that the U.S. has has struggled with, and I think this is something you and I have, t- have you specifically talked to Tim Mayotte about. Yeah. That was one of his things there. And even Patrick McEnroe, when when he left the USTA, that's the one thing he said that the U.S. should do better is coaching education, teaching coaches how to coach. Vic Braden, that was really what he did. He was a, he was a guy who who went around the country, got people wanting to play, got people taught people how to teach people how to play tennis. He was really a, you know, part of the culture of tennis. If you grew up in the 70s, you saw him on TV. He made, you know, he one of his some of his articles for Tennis Magazine were some of the the biggest selling uh articles for this magazine. He um he was always sort of theorizing, thinking of of new things, new ways to look at tennis mentally physically um, was there any specific philosophies that you recall of him or is this... I mean one one that he was big on and one that became well known was his idea of the of different 
tennis personalities. He used the Myers-Briggs psychological test, which talks about our different personality types from a psychiatry point of view. He brought that to tennis. It was pretty controversial as to whether, you know, some people didn't really believe it, but it was, it was really um, something that people talked about. What's your tennis personality like? So he, he, you know, he, he sort of bridged the gap between, between, you know, the professional game and the game you see on TV and the rec game. You know, it's hard to think of somebody who really fits that now, who, somebody who, who people is a recognizable figure who is so enthusiastic about so, the sport. Somebody who bridges those two gaps. I, I think now it, it almost it almost makes sense that he was of that particular era and a time where the game, where not only the game was at a boom, but I think you know we're talking about someone like Braden who was not known for his professional playing credentials, but so many players of that boom era were not only players, but you had promoters, coaches, broadcasters. And, um, you know, I think back to some of the books I read about how critical all of these um, different org- different tennis um, names really made the sport seem like the biggest thing around for, for really, you know, a, a little stretch there. You obviously had um, some of the greatest players the game the game has known, but um, you know we're looking back and seeing a lot of these a lot of these men now at their older years making having made such a big impact back then. Yeah, Jack Kramer, um, Big Braden started the Jack Kramer Club with Kramer in L.A. and Kramer said that of all the people he'd worked with in tennis in the '70s, that Braden was the most important for getting people involved in tennis. He said Connors, McEnroe, Borg, Chrissy. Martina, they were great as pros, but nobody really had the overall effect of of um, Vic Braden in popularizing tennis. And I think that you know, in in my in whenever I went to various places in tennis, people would talk about Vic Braden. He was, I think, he was sort of somebody people could relate to from the top of the sport, you know, down to rec players. Everybody mentioned that they that they liked him, asked about him, wondering how he was doing. I only really met him over the last few years when he would he would go to Indian Wells each year, and even you know even then even you know later in his life he was he was always involved always talking about theories of tennis always still enthusiastic about the game. Good to know. Now, this is like I said things I'm learning really, you know as especially this week as we hear a little more about him. So appreciate that. Um, moving on to the game today and uh, we are you know already have a result this morning um, you know Rafa going down in Shanghai there's a lot more to that story Rafa actually his latest you know health issue you can he's had almost every one it seems like but it's appendicitis and um, coming from someone who had his appendix taken out many years ago it's um, it's not pleasant I was pretty shocked to hear that uh, he would even be wanting to play this tournament. This isn't like a Davis Cup tie or something in like Barcelona. This is what you would think of as one of the last events that Nadal would like. He would rather die than 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 miss this. And so I think somewhat expectedly goes down. Um, you know, he was a Lopez, even though Nadal had a five-two lead in the second set there. Um, you know, a week ago on this podcast, we were talking about the Rafa comeback. This is obviously going to put that well back there. Um, you know, I I also wonder about about this time and and 
and you made a good point about Nadal and how you know this is this is we're seeing more and more of this with him and we're seeing really a lot bubbling up on the ATP this whole year that the evidence just seems to kind of mount that I think we're going to end up looking back at this year for many reasons as the as kind of the tipping point of where this era of Roger Novak Rafa completely and utterly owning every event kind of changes over and I think it's still you know there's still a gradual change and there is that's not to say that that they aren't going to have the you know the biggest trophies at the end of the day but I think I think this is just the latest shred of evidence that 2014 is kind of a, a, a turning point I think in the tour yeah I think you know this loss if there's ever a match you can put an asterisk on it's it's Rafa's loss to to Lopez with with appendicitis <laughs> I yeah it's hard to know why he played not Davis Cup it's not a slam it's not even a match that he needed to play to collect an appearance fee he wasn't going to get one in Shanghai anyway I th- I think he he missed a few months in August and September and he just didn't want to keep missing things for physical reasons I think that's probably depressing to him um, we'll see what happens whether he, ha- he has his appendix out and then he he would probably be out for the rest of the year anyway um, but you're right the it does go with a trend of of Rafa losing to players he doesn't he hasn't lost to in the past that's something we saw with Federer at the same age when he was 28 um, I do th- I do think we'll this will be the year with when you have Wawrinka winning a slam and Chilich winning a slam that you'll look back as a starting to open up the game a little bit um, but for me right now this it really opens up the future the near future for Novak Djokovic he still seems to be on a roll in China, we'll see. We'll see how he does in Shanghai. He doesn't seem. He's won the last two years there. He doesn't seem to lose in Asia. But even beyond that, through the rest of the year, you know, he's looking like he's going to finish number one again. And if Rafa is out for the rest of the year or is slowed down by this, you know, that's a one less challenger for for Novak. He he did have a bad stretch this summer, but I don't think we can say he's declining at the moment. No, yeah, not at all. And. I think to back that up a little bit is um, you look at, uh, I, I guess you look at the players that have made strides this year. Vavrinka still still kind of as inconsistent as ever, especially lately. Um, it's not as if there, there have been surges, but there hasn't been that sustained um, challenger to to really to Djokovic. And, and I think for the most part, we've seen this year that a lot of the losses, um, you know, I, I think you would generally pin them on what on what Djokovic was unable to do. I, I think it's still at this point, it's it's kind of if Djokovic plays his best, it's really hard to see anyone kind of competing with him, and um, and I think that's going to make the remainder of this year, I think, a little more. Uh, kind of interesting to see how he, how he ends up playing this because especially as you said about how he's traditionally taken and ran with the end of the years and and it's no coincidence that his almost more than half his slam titles came in Australian Open so to follow what he has been able to do his whole career there so I, I think I think you're very right that Djokovic still I think holds the keys to everything and I think it goes back to really saying how important that win at Wimbledon was to him. I think that was just, it was crucial at the time. And I think 
as time has passed and we saw what happened to the U.S. Open, I think it's even more, you know, telling. And also I think it's a question of who's going to, who is going to come up and be the next consistent players. We saw this week already, Vavrinka is out, Dimitrov's out, Raonich is out with the flu, Chilich is out already. Um, not that that's indicative of the long term, but nobody, nobody outside of the big four is shown, all right, here's the guy who's going to come in next, mm-hmm. you know. Those yeah. guys are still, they're still not as consistent. No, we were just looking at the Del Potro cover of Tennis Magazine, maybe t- twenty minutes ago, and there's you know, we had talks, many talks about this the year before. So mm-hmm. there's um, there's more work to be done from all of them, really. So we'll see, um, we'll see where that takes us. Um, let's end a little. Um, we have the WT Finals. It's now been renamed WT Finals. You're going to see that nomenclature going forward. To these year-end tournaments tend to change names more frequently than the other ones. So that we're now at the WTA Finals. That'll take place in Singapore the week after next. Um, so I think we'll get a little more into the field um, next week. But one we wanted to mention um, in between this podcast and last one that we didn't give a lot of time to last week was Maria Sharapova and. Lo and behold, she goes and wins Beijing last week, the the last significant tournament before the season-ending championships. Beats Kvitova, who has really sustained things pretty nicely um, on the whole since Wimbledon, you can say. Um, but Sharapova, you know, I, I think, you know, in a sense, um, sort of reminding that, that she still, um, on the right day, is pretty pretty darn hard to beat and um and will probably be heard from in singapore in all likelihood uh we don't even know what serena's status for that will be that she's kind of a wild card for there so um we have to give credit to sharapova for sure about that yeah i think this win really rounds out her year and shows that she had a really good year you know you don't sort of think she was inconsistent but she started the year she was injured at the end of last year with her shoulder she has a new coach at the beginning of this year. She just started a little slowly. Um, she was really good on clay, and then and now she's won this big hardcore tournament where where everybody was in it. So she's won four tournaments. She's now she's number two. You have to really say that's a that was hasn't gotten a lot of publicity, but that's quite a comeback year for her. Um, she also sounds pretty eager for Singapore, which is I don't think all the other players will be at this point will be feeling that way. Um, I know Kvitov has already said that she's she felt a little tired. But Sharapova, um, one issue is she's number two now. Where does she go from there? A lot of the other players, I feel like it used to be the number one ranking in the WTA was almost like a curse because you really didn't, you know, when Yelena Yankovic had it, Safina, Wozniacki, uh, they were never able to really capitalize on that and win Grand Slams. It was always Serena who was there. Now it almost feels like with Serena number one, the number two ranking seems to be have the curse. As Arenka gets to number two, she gets hurt. Lena gets to number two. Now she's retired. She got hurt. In, yeah, in, in Halep a, gets yeah. to two sort of struggles. Now Sharapova's to what you know, what's next? Obviously Maria's had her struggles with Serena. In a sense it's all um it's almost one and the same, the one and two, because I think how Serena has treated her schedule in those times, those time, those years when you had the Wozniacki, Yankovic, Safina, number one, Serena at that point still was not giving credence and particular importance to the, um, you know, the non-slam events. Mm-hmm. And over the years, she's become more and more consistent, more 
it seems invested in those. Like she, she plays more. She plays more, and she, you know, when she wins a, I, I don't know if it's a thing to do with age or everything that she's recently gone through, but you know, she's giving, I think, celebrations and 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 really joy in winning just just matches really not even titles no matter what event she's playing and um and i I think that's going to be you know one of these things that when whoever writes the serena bought a biography way down the road it's going to be i think a particularly interesting set of chapters as to this this late career run but it's not it's not even as if she went away and came back but it's just that She's kind of flipped the script in a way, and I think that's what we're talking about here. About um, you know everything in relation to that is is this uh, number two little oddity here that the yeah, chair We'll see holds. how Marie. I mean, I think I feel like Azarenka she got hurt and it was it was bad luck, but I also feel like she ran into that Serena. You know, sort of ran into hit her ceiling in a way at number two, and you know we'll see what Maria can do. And we'll see how Serena's health is, you know, going forward. Yeah, we'll see right away, like I said, in Singapore, if she decides to play that or not. And um, we'll talk about that a lot next week on the podcast. Here with Steve Tigner, I'm Ed McGrogan. Thank you for listening. Once again, Tennis.com podcast. You've been enjoying the Tennis.com podcast. For all the latest news and events, head over to Tennis.com.